0: Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Happy New Year, New Covenant. It's still the new year. Hey, we're in for um, a wild ride that I'm super excited about. We're going to tackle the no-no book of the Bible um, that a lot of churches like to stay away from. So uh, we are going to dive into the book of Revelation. And I can't wait. Um, what, we are gonna, what we are not going to do is get into wild interpretations of the book of Revelation. So we're going to set some guidelines this morning for how we go about not only interpreting the book of Revelation, but uh, the entire Bible. And I don't know how many of you all like these. These, this is just a, a jigsaw puzzle. Anybody like doing jigsaw puzzles? Some of y'all do like those 15,000 piece jigsaw puzzles that I'm looking at going, yeah, I'll see you next Christmas. Have fun with that. Um, but in looking at jigsaw puzzles, it actually gave me a lot of insight into how we're going to study the book of Revelation. And not only Revelation, but the Bible as a whole. Let me just give you an example. If I'm, this one's just 300 pieces. But if I'm going to put together a jigsaw puzzle, the first thing I need is the box top. I need to know what it is that I'm looking at. What's the big picture? Uh, In the book of Revelation, if you'd grab it, we're just going to take a look at the first verse just for a moment. Revelation chapter 1 verse 1 says the revelation of Jesus Christ. Just stop there. What is Revelation all about? Jesus. That's the box top. In fact, not only the book of Revelation, but the entire Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation chapter 22, it all points to Jesus. It all points to this Messiah. So the box top is Jesus. Well, then I discovered too that when I'm putting together a jigsaw puzzle, what do you normally start with? Most normal sane people start with the outside. The boundary, so, so get the outside pieces, get those things put together first, then you can start to work on the inside. So we got two do's and one don't. The two do's are number one, look at the box top, so you know what you're putting together. Number two, the second do is establish some boundaries, establish some borders. We're gonna do that in our study of the book of Revelation. There are some boundaries or borders we will set up. But then here's the third thing, don't smash pieces together that don't fit. And what we've done before, and I've seen happen with the book of Revelation, is that there are certain passages or even verses that get completely ripped out of their context, and entire cults have been developed from that. So we are going to make sure that we establish some boundaries. Now, don't tune me out, because you might think, well, this part's boring. It's not boring, trust me. I want to real quick take a look at how do we study end times prophecy. And how do we study the Bible as a whole? I'm just going to give you three that we learned in seminary way back when in a course called hermeneutics. If you're wondering herman who? hermeneutics is just the art and science of studying the Bible. I'm just going to give you three really big ones. So if you've got your sermon notes, I would encourage you keep those handy. Um, You're going to see on the back of your sermon notes, there's a study guide that goes along with that, that our small groups will be doing. Um, husbands and wives you could take that home and use those to have dinnertime conversations with your kids um, but for now if you take the front part of those sermon notes there's about three things I'd like to look at real quick when it comes to how we study end times prophecy that will keep us from going down some crazy rabbit holes and again I'm going to tell you especially with the book of Revelation. I have seen some crazy rabbit holes that people have dove down and come up with some really crazy interpretations. Now, I know that this is totally faux pas in our culture, but I'm gonna say it anyways. There is a right way and a wrong way to interpret the word of God. And when we interpret God's word wrongly, we end up coming up with man-made ideas that the word of God was never intending to say. So together, we're just gonna establish right off the bat, there is a right way and a wrong way to interpret the word of God. Now that being said, are we all going to completely agree with how we interpret the book of Revelation? I will tell you that what is of utmost importance is completely clear in the book of Revelation. I also want to tell you this, the book of Revelation means to unveil or to uncover. I've got something covered up here that I'm going to unveil in 47 short weeks from now. So you've just got to wait 47 short weeks, and then I'm going to let you know what it is that we're unveiling. But the book of Revelation, that word apocalypsis literally means to unveil or to uncover, which means that God wants us to know His will. He wants us to understand Revelation. So please don't think, as we begin to tackle Revelation, I'm never going to be able to understand this book. You are going to understand this book and you're going to understand it well in about 47 short weeks. So just hang in there. But let's start with this. How do we interpret end times prophecy properly? First thing that I want us to note is that we want to interpret prophecy and Scripture, all of Scripture, in light of its context context is the single most important piece of Bible study. That means that we're not just going to read a verse or two verses or sometimes even seven or eight. We want to read at least a full pericope or what we would call a literary unit of thought. Typically, it's paragraphs, but sometimes we need to read a whole chapter. Sometimes we need to read a whole book. Did you know that when books like Romans first corinthians second corinthians galatians ephesians philippians colossians when those were written those were written as letters that were actually meant to be read in one sitting the problem is sometimes when we try to break those up we miss the entire context revelation is actually one big letter and really the best way to read it is to read the whole thing in context which means read the whole thing straight through So I'm going to ask if you would stand while we start with Revelation 1 all the way through chapter 20. I'm kidding. Don't stand up yet. I'm kidding. I got about half of you standing up already. Sorry. You will stand in a moment. We won't read all 22 chapters, I promise. That was too much fun. I'm sorry. We are going to interpret prophecy in all of Scripture in light of its context. What do I mean by context? Again, sometimes it's reading a full paragraph, sometimes a whole chapter, sometimes a whole book. It also means doing everything I can to find out as much as I can about the author. So who's the original author? Well, it's God himself. Then he had human authors that he used. We want to learn as much about them as we can. We want to know as much as we can about the audience. So we're going to be doing that, especially when we get to Revelations chapters 2 and 3. We're going to be taking a look at the churches like Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, and we're going to learn as much as we can about these churches because what God said, what Jesus said to them through the Apostle John, uh, was indicative of what was going on in those churches. Okay, the second piece, uh, or the second tool that we're going to use in putting the pieces of the puzzle together are that we really want to interpret prophecy and all of Scripture literally. Now let me explain to you what I mean by that the literal interpretation of the Bible means that we are going to take a look at the original sense of the Bible according to normal usage, according to normal and customary usage of language. We're not going to make up stuff when we read the book of Revelation. We're going to use what we call the grammatical, historical, contextual method of interpretation. You all got that? You feel smarter now? All that means is that we are actually going to look at grammar. The, the um, tenses of verbs actually matter. The types of nouns that are used actually matter. So we're going to look at some of those words as we go through the book of Revelation. We want to know the historical context. What was happening when John wrote? Well, I'm getting ahead of myself, but you're going to find out that there's a nasty man named Nero who had been reigning and ruling, and then an even nastier man by the name of uh, Domitian comes in, and he's reigning and ruling, and bad things are happening to Christians Uh, during the time that John is writing while he's exiled on the island of Patmos. We'll talk more about that. And then there's also what we call the contextual method of interpretation. And again, that means reading everything in its context, religious, social, political contexts, um, historical contexts. There was a guy named David L. Cooper way back in 1945 who gave us a great guide for interpreting scriptures. And this is what he said. When the plain sense of scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense. Therefore, take every word at its primary, ordinary, usual, literal meaning, unless the facts of the immediate context, study the light of related passages, and axiomatic and fundamental truths indicate clearly otherwise. Did y'all catch that? In other words, read it for what it says. We don't have to try to read all kinds of hidden meaning into it. Another guy that I have loved to study, his name is Paul Tan Lee. Uh, he said this, at the first coming of Christ, over 300 prophecies were completely fulfilled, and every prophecy that has been fulfilled has been fulfilled literally. Really, it's 351 prophecies about Jesus' birth, about his rearing, about his life, about his death, about his resurrection, about how he'd be betrayed, about how he would Uh, be crucified between thieves, where he would be buried. All of that was literal, so we don't want to all of a sudden flip to a non-literal sense of interpreting the second coming. Now, some people have gotten concerned about the second coming and went, well, wait a minute. You know, the angel said he's literally coming again. He literally said he's coming again, but it's been like 2,000 years, so maybe we got it wrong, and he just meant that figuratively. Don't forget that they waited a long, long time for the first coming of Christ. In fact, the first coming of Christ was actually prophesied in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. When Adam and Eve first sinned, we get what's called the Proto-Evangelion, or the very first um, declaration of the gospel, that one is going to come who's going to crush the head of the serpent. They waited for a long time for Jesus to come the first time. Why are we having to wait so long for him to come the second time? Well, what does Scripture tell us? he's being patient. I don't know about you, but I have a lot of friends and a lot of family members that don't yet know Jesus. I am glad that he hasn't raptured us out of here yet. I'm glad that he has kept us on the earth to keep sharing the gospel. Well, here's the third thing, and really there are a lot more principles to Bible study than just these three, but these three will help us interpret prophecy in all of Scripture using the built-in interpretations given in scripture. We don't have to make stuff up about what Revelation says. We can simply take a look at scripture itself. Let me just give you a couple for instances just staying in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 1 verses 12 and 13 and then in verse 16 it talks about seven lampstands and stars. I've heard some wacky ideas about what the seven lampstands and stars are. If you just read seven verses later it tells us it's the churches. Flat out tells us those lampstands are the churches. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 28, there's this term called the morning star. And I've heard some wacky ideas about who or what the morning star is. Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, flat out tells us it's Jesus. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, there's this crazy talk about incense being burned that goes up to heaven, and God smells that. And I've heard some wacky interpretations of what that means. Well, the second half of the verse tells us it's the prayers of the saints In Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it talks about this woman giving birth to a male child. And I've heard some wacky ideas on what that is. If you read five or six verses later, it tells us it's Israel and that Jesus the Messiah is born through the nation of Israel. Later, we'll get these descriptions of Satan as the dragon or uh, we get these other descriptions of these empires or these powers that raise up. And you begin to wonder, who are these empires or who are these powers? Here's what's awesome. If you read the book of Daniel, you get all the answers to that. So we don't actually have to make stuff up. If I read the book of Ezekiel, I get some answers to a lot of the questions that I have in the book of Revelation. So if you get to the book of Revelation, and you think, man, this is confusing. Are there any answers? Usually the answers are wrapped up in Scripture itself. We don't have to make up crazy answers. I have read some wacky books that people have given me, Pastor, you've got to read this. America is in the end times. I hate to tell you this. I'm going to burst some bubbles real quick. America is not found in the Scriptures. All you have to do is read geography, and if you read geographically what John writes about in the book of Revelation, there's absolutely no way that America is in prophecy. Well, what's going to happen to America? And I'm going to give you, again, my honest answer. I think based off the direction that our country has gone, and every country that goes the way that America has gone, so when Assyria did it, when Babylon did it, when Medo Persia did it, when Greece did it, when Rome did it, God brought down all of those nations. What did they do? They fell into gross idolatry and they fell into gross immorality. Listen, I'm not playing doomsday prophet. But have you have you looked at what America has dove headlong into? We have dove headlong into idolatry. For the most part, we have made ourselves God. We are the pinnacle of all things. And we have dove headlong into immorality. And one follows the other. Listen, if God is whoever I want him to be, and I can make him into whoever I want him to be, then I can do whatever I want. And there therein lies immorality. And God will only put up with it for so long before he will finally say, enough is enough. I am going to bring down what you you all think is this great nation because it has not honored and worshiped and obeyed and followed me. Now, I've had people look at me and go, you're crazy. We are the superpower of the world. Right now, we are the superpower of the world. But guess what? When Assyria was reigning and ruling, they ruled the whole known world. And then Babylon came along and so did they. And so did Medo-Persia. And by the time you get to Rome, Rome looked like nobody could ever take them out. Do you know what brought Rome down? Rome. They crumbled from the inside out. Again, I am not meaning to play doomsday prophet, but have you noticed that America is just crumbling a little bit from the inside out because of some of the things that we have engaged in? Well, at New Covenant Church, we can't do anything about the direction. Let, Let me rephrase that. God can, through New Covenant Church, do great things with what's happening in our society and in our country. However, our society and our country has to be willing to listen to and then receive the message that God has called us to bring. And as of right now, it's not being listened to and it's not being received. And I'm guessing, just based off what Scripture says, things are going to continue to get worse. And you may think, great, Well, this is where Revelation becomes an encouragement. Just wait until you hear the first eight verses. See, remember where John is at. We're going to take all of this in context. Where is John? He's on the island of Patmos because he's living underneath a ruler by the name of Domitian. Domitian, if he's not exiling Christians, he's executing Christians. He has executed thousands of people by the time John himself gets sent to this little uh, island in the Aegean Sea called Patmos where he's probably about 90 years old, he's quite frail, he's living on meager rations if any, and he's basically just awaiting to die. And then Jesus shows up, and Jesus says, John, be encouraged. And I want you to write a letter that's going to encourage the rest of my churches, and we'll read about those in the days to come. I want you to know that if you want to get to know Jesus better, and by the way, our vision statement here at New Covenant Church is to treasure Jesus above all else, that we would treasure Jesus more than anything. Our mission statement is to know Christ or to know Jesus and to make him known. So our goal in going through the book of Revelation is not just to win a bunch of theological debates or arguments, because again, we might land in different places on certain things, but we have to keep in mind, what's the box top? it's all about Jesus. The one thing that I would hope and pray that we absolutely agree on is that Jesus is God and our God is coming back. He is absolutely coming back. He's going to bring an end to the mess and he's going to bring an end to the chaos. And so if you think to yourself, man, it's kind of depressing the direction that our country is going, kind of depressing to know that God's probably going to bring it down one day. Don't be depressed because if you're a follower of Jesus, you get to be a co-heir with him and you get to reign with him when he comes again. I can't wait. You're going to see all, all of that later. It's, it's coming. But for right now, we need to dive into the first eight verses of Revelation, or else I will have you here till Tuesday. So, this time for real, would you stand with me as we read Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Here is our first full literary unit of thought. He said, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Gang, you can have a seat. Again, don't forget the context. What is the context of this passage? John is probably feeling pretty beat down. He's fairly old. He's pretty frail. He has sat underneath that evil emperor Nero, who because of him, half of Rome burnt down, but he needed a scapegoat, so he blamed Christians. Christians started getting tortured and exiled and executed because of Rome burning down. Then Domitian comes along and he makes Nero look like a Boy Scout. He tortures and executes and maims and hurts Christians young and old just for the fun of it because he didn't like their worship of Jesus. Let's go back to the first three verses. We're going to take a look at a few things together. We're going to unpack, first of all, the big idea. What is the big idea of Revelation? What is the whole thing about? Well, again, if you've got your sermon notes, you're going to get a big idea every week what these first eight verses are really all about. Revelation is written for a single purpose, to unveil the person of Jesus and to encourage the people of Jesus. Hear that again. This is really what all of Scripture is about. Revelation is written to unveil the person of Jesus And to encourage the people of Jesus. Some of you all might pick up Revelation and go, this book is scary. I I don't know if I like reading this book. You have to keep in mind that if you are a follower, if you are a believer of Jesus, you've got nothing to fear. This is a book that is scary for those that don't yet know Christ, but for those of you that know Jesus, you've got nothing to fear. Everything that you read about in the book of Revelation is being controlled by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who is going to come again, which we are going to read about starting in about Revelation chapter 19. You've only got to wait about 38 short weeks, and we're there. Everything is short right now. But what are the theological and practical purposes of Revelation? We're going to take a look at three more this week. So what is the theological, what's the first theological and the first practical purpose of revelation? Going back to the first three verses, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear And who keep what is written in it for the time is near. First theological purpose for Revelation being written is simply this Revelation was written to unveil the power of Jesus. Revelation was written to unveil the power of Jesus. The word revelation is the Greek word apokalypsis, which again, what does it mean? Reveal or to unveil. In John's day, An artist would make uh, a sculpture or maybe a painting, and they would cover it up with something like you see up here, some kind of veil, some kind of tarp, and then they would wait until everyone was seated and situated, ready to hear and listening, and then they would unveil it. And everybody would ooh and awe over what gets unveiled. Remember, Revelation was written to unveil something, not a something, someone, And not only does it unveil someone, but it unveils what this someone's plan is for the future, which include his kingdom, it includes his subjects, it includes his enemies, and it includes all the events that are going to happen in between. So we're going to be taking a look at a lot of stuff. We're going to be taking a look at the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus himself. We're going to take a look at his subjects, that's you and I. We're going to take a look at his enemies. Jesus is going to deal with enemies. And then we're going to take a look at all the events that happen in between. We're going to take a look at all kinds of fun stuff, like seal judgments, and trumpet judgments, and bowl judgments, and woes being poured out upon the earth. Now, notice the words again, reveal or unveil. The word revelation, apocalypsis, to unveil. Again, don't miss, you can understand this book, and you will understand this book, And I'm going to do everything I can to help you understand this book. I also want to do everything I can to help you study this book without me just simply telling you what it means. So we're going to have to work just a little bit. I've discovered more and more that as I study the Word of God, it takes a little bit of work. And that's a good thing. See, keep in mind, God is God and you and I are not. And we are trying to understand as not God, God. So as we, as not God, try to understand God, it's going to be a little bit of digging and it's going to be a little bit of work. Now, all that to be said, I also don't want us to just walk away from here with a bunch of head knowledge because the book of Revelation wasn't written just to satisfy our curiosity. It was also written to radically change the way we live. Listen, what if every day we woke up thinking, and by the way, this is an absolute truth, But what if we woke up with this truth in our mind every single day? Jesus could take me out of here today. (coughs) Jesus could come back today. What if I woke up with that mindset every single day? How would that change the way you live? How would it change the way you think? How would it change your entertainment choices? How would it change the way you relate to your spouse? How would it change the way you disciple your children? How would it change the way you disciple your grandchildren? How would it change the way you speak or treat your neighbor or the person at the checkout stand? How how would that change your life? Just think through that briefly for a moment. Because practically, Revelation was written to encourage us, this is the first practical part of Revelation, to work for Jesus. Practically, Revelation was written to encourage us to work for Jesus. Okay, don't miss this. I feel like I have to cover this whenever we speak of good works. Good works do not save you. There's not a single thing that you can do to work your way to the God of the universe. That is exactly why the God of the universe came to us. But that should not stop us from doing good works. I think just about every time those nice young men come and knock on my door that belong to a particular cult and tell me, well, the Bible says in James that faith without works is dead. I'm so glad you brought that up. Because if you start with the first chapter of the book of James, it tells me that every good and perfect gift comes from God above, which includes salvation, which means that by the time you get to chapter two, James must be saying something that you're missing. And here's what it is that he's saying. Salvation will produce good works. True salvation will be manifest or made known by the good works that we do, but good works will never produce salvation. I hope that helps clear some things up and make sense. But Revelation says right now, work for Jesus. What does John call himself and us? Go back to Revelation chapter 1, cheat, you're allowed to look at your Bible, and then you're also allowed to talk out loud in church, it's crazy, I know, we've discussed this before, but here we go, what does John call you and what does he call himself? Servant, the word is actually doulos, so we are called doulos or doulan de Christos, which literally means slave of Christ. Now a doulos or a slave is under the complete authority of the master. Whatever the master says, the slave does. He's also completely dependent upon his master for food, for sustenance, for shelter. You and I are completely dependent upon our Lord. And a slave of Jesus is called to live for him. Now go back to verse one. I want you to note something else. It says that he showed us this revelation of Jesus, he's showing us his power, and he's also going to show us the things that must soon take place. Now, some have read that word soon and said, see, the Bible got it wrong. It's been 2,000 years. The problem with that is that in the Greek, the word for soon is in tachai." In tachai" does not mean soon as far as chronology goes or amount of time. Soon literally means the next thing on the calendar or the next prophetic event, or in other words, it could happen at any moment. Yes, it's been 2,000 years, but for 2,000 years, it could have happened at any moment. It's the next thing on the calendar. Now, that being said, is it possible that Jesus could take us home before this service is over? It's what Scripture says that he could, he could take us home before this service is over. Now again, let me ask you to think with this mindset. If you knew that Jesus could take you at any moment, how would that change the way you disciple your spouse, your kids, talk to your neighbor, the person at the checkout stand? How would that change? Well, let me give you a little illustration of what Satan has done a really good job of doing. It's said that Satan once called one of his demons and he said, Hey, if I send you to earth to help men and women ruin their souls, what would you do? The first demon said, Oh, I would convince them that there's no such thing as heaven. Satan said, Well, that's not going to work. God has placed eternity in the hearts of every man. Every man and woman seems to know that they have a purpose beyond just living and dying. You cannot go. So he calls a second demon, he says, hey, if I send you to earth to help men and women ruin their souls, what will you tell them? He said, I will convince them that there's no such thing as hell, that way they won't be concerned about it. He said, that's not going to work because God has placed conscience within them, and every man and woman knows that there is right and wrong, and that somebody has to pay for their sin. So he calls a third, even more vile demon, and he says, if I send you to earth to help men and women ruin their souls, what will you tell them? He says, simple, I will tell him there's no hurry. He said, go, go at once. And that's what Satan has done a great job of doing. There's no rush, there's no worry. That neighbor that is yet to know Christ, you know what, don't worry about it, somebody else will tell them. That family member that you have, I know you don't like to have controversy around the Christmas dinner table, around the Easter dinner table, you know what, just keep your mouth shut. Don't worry about it, there's plenty of time. You yourself, you haven't trusted Jesus. Hey, you know what, you can get religious when you get old. First of all, don't get religious. Secondly, don't get old. That's no fun. But it's going to happen. So trust Jesus today. But just simply due to the fact that he could call us home at any moment, live with urgency. Worship Jesus for who he is and all that he's worth and tell people about him. All right, here we go. Let's move on to the second thing. In Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, it says, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are on his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Secondly, uh, theologically, Revelation was written to unveil the provisions of Jesus. Please don't miss how much we have been provided with. We just breezed over three verses, but there is so much wrapped up in those three verses that Jesus has given to us that I don't want you to miss this. And remember, John needed to hear this. John has been beat down by Nero, he's been beat down by Domitian. He needs to hear this. Some of you have been beat down by the world. You feel like you're losing, like you can't catch a break. You're going, man, you don't understand what I've gone through this past year. 2022 was rough. I lost loved ones. I struggled financially. My marriage struggled. I don't like where we're at politically. I don't like where we're at spiritually. I just don't like the direction that our country is going. Things just seem rough. Well, man, picture John. He's probably had a lot of friends, most likely family members that have been tortured and executed. He himself, now that he's in his old age, thinking, man, I should be able to retire and kick back on the beach, is not happening. Instead, he's exiled and waiting to die without food, probably uh, getting starved to death, probably dying of thirst. And again, he's probably around 90 years old and thinking, this is not the way I expected my life to end. And then this angel sent from Jesus shows up and gives them these words of encouragement. And by the way, the encouragement continues next week in verses 9 through 20. When we see what, what I'm going to call the victory. Or the vision of victory. Because, I don't know if you know this. We sang it. But in the end, God wins. Guess what? You're on the right team. Isn't that great? Bunch of you around here are Denver Bronco fans because we're close to Denver. I feel for you. Your team. But we're on a team that's going to win it. It's going to win it all. God's team wins the Super Bowl. And I can't wait to see that happen. In the meantime, Jesus has provided us uh, with some great blessings. Let's go through those fairly quickly. Number one, what has he lavished us with to start with? Grace and peace. He lavishes us with grace and peace. See, as we get closer and closer to the return of Christ, there's going to be a lack of peace throughout our community, throughout our society. But although there isn't peace outside, there can be a peace that passes all understanding inside. Why? Well, really because of the second thing. Because of the fact that the God of the universe loves us unconditionally. Verse 5 tells us clearly from Jesus, the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us, agapes us, unconditional love. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, where you're from. The Lord Jesus looks at us and says, I made you. And therefore, I love you. You're mine. Now, I've had people look at me and go, Pastor, you better be careful because you just gave people a license to sin now people could look at that and go you know what i'm loved unconditionally i'm saved no matter what you've told me i can't lose my salvation and scripture does make that clear that we are loved unconditionally and i'm going to tell you confidently that every passage of scripture that talks about salvation read in context says you cannot lose your salvation because of the fact that you are held tightly in the grip of the savior you're held tightly in the grip of god almighty I don't know if you remember in John chapter 10, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. No one can snatch you out of my hand. That is good news. That means that you yourself can't be so dumb and screw it up so bad that you lost your salvation. I have had multiple people tell me, no, 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 you can lose it. Because what if you just decided you wanted to give it up? So now you're telling me that there is something in all of creation that can pull you out of Jesus' hand. It's you. You're powerful enough. To get out of Jesus's hand I don't buy that if Jesus really is who he said he was and you really did truly give your life to Christ you are safe and secure in his hands forever and that's good news he loves you unconditionally Romans chapter 6 verse 1 says what shall we say then shall we go on sinning all the more so that grace may abound all the more and what does Paul say no by no means he's ready to Christian cuss right there in Romans chapter 6 heaven no is what he's saying. Don't do it. If you truly understand what Jesus did for you, why would you want to go back to the very things that he saved you from? Don't do it. Okay, Revelation chapter 1 verse 5, he goes on and he says, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. He loosed us from sin. The word freed literally means to loosen. It's as if an animal is caught in a trap and it cannot get out. Somebody has to come along and free that animal caught in a trap. Jesus comes along and says, you can't get yourself out, but my blood can. I will free you. Paul speaks in Romans chapter 7, verses 24 and 25, and in Romans chapter 8, verse 2, he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He starts with a question. Who's going to free me from this body of death? I'm stuck. I can't get out. What does he say in the very next verse? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. In chapter 8, verse 2, he says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Aren't you thankful that he freed you from the law of sin and death? And then in verse 6, we get the last thing that he lavished on us. He made us to be a kingdom, priests to His God and Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He lifted us positionally. He lifted us to a place of being priests in His kingdom. What did a priest do? What did a priest do? What was their job? What was their their main role? There's caffeine in the foyer. What did, a, what did a priest do? Go between, between God and man. Jesus comes along, he dies on a cross, and this phenomenal event happens in the temple at the moment that Jesus breathes his last. Do you know what that phenomenal event is? The veil of the temple tears in two from top to bottom. Now, I don't know if you've seen our logo, New Covenant Church. Have you seen our logo? It's the torn veil from top to bottom. That's what that, that's what that logo is for New Covenant tells us that the moment that Jesus breathed his last, that veil that was supposed to separate man from God was torn in two, telling us we get direct access to him at any given point in time. Okay, well, that moves us to something practical. So the second practical thing that Revelation was written for was to encourage us to worship Jesus. Gang, okay, let me encourage you, worship Jesus. How do we do that? Well, we have this little thing at New Covenant Church. Our leadership team trained through it. It's a little 24-page document called the, the New Covenant Church Discipleship Roadmap. And in it, we talk about five things that we saw Jesus do in the Scriptures. He worshiped his Father. Remember, he didn't have to. He's God in flesh. But he showed us what worship looks like. He equipped himself with the Word of God. He's the living Word of God. He connected with fellow believers. He shared the gospel with the lost. And then he served everybody. And those are five things that we want to imitate, not to have a checklist each day, but because we want to be just like Jesus. If you want help in diving into God's word, we have this little thing. I should have checked first. I'm not sure if we put it on the website, but it's going to be on the website. Our New Covenant Church Bible and book reading plan. It will help you see Jesus on every page. Now, don't worry, it's not dated. So if it takes you two and a half years to read through it, fantastic. Take two and a half years. Take your time. But what you'll do is you'd start off in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. The very next day, you'd read John chapters 1 and 2, and you're going to see the connection with the very words being used in the beginning. Later on in the study, you're going to read through things like Psalms, and by the time you get to say like Psalm 40 through about Psalm 80, you're going to notice this parallel between those 40 Psalms and what's being written in the books of 1 and 2 Samuel, because they're both talking about the life of David. And how David keeps looking and waiting for this coming Messiah, this Savior. So I'm excited for this coming year and what God is going to do through things like that. On the right hand column, you're going to see different books that you could be reading through that will get you equipped and help you understand the Word of God better. We're going to have an equipped course that will help you understand the Word of God better. But why do we do all of those things? Prayerfully, not for a checklist but because we are excited about the one who is revealed in the book of Revelation as well as throughout all of the Bible. Gang, I am so excited about Revelation, not just because it's Revelation and it seems sensational, but because of who it's about. Gang, we're going to spend eternity together forever in heaven, and it's all going to be focused on one person, and we get a really neat glimpse of what that's going to look like in 22 chapters in the book of Revelation. I can't wait for you all to see more. I can't wait to see more. I'm excited about it. Last thing. Theologically, Revelation is written to unveil the promises of Jesus. In Revelation chapter one, seven and eight, he starts with the word behold. It do in the Greek language literally means pay attention. Or listen carefully, it's meant to arrest your attention. Hear what is about to be said. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I just said that there's some promises that are going to be unveiled what is the greatest promise in the book of revelation that we get he's coming again jesus is coming again take comfort in knowing that jesus is coming again and here's the last thing that that should do for us practically it should encourage us to watch for jesus watch for him every single day pay attention to what's going on in the world around us we may think that it's nasty and things are getting bad but that's exactly what scripture said was going to happen People would become lovers of money, lovers of self. They would become sexually immoral. They would become disobedient to their parents. They would begin to worship false idols. They would put themselves on the throne. They would make themselves God. They would worship other gods. They would set up idols. Gee, we don't see any of that happening today, do we? So watch. The day is getting closer. When is he coming? Soon, which means what? What? It's the next thing on the prophetic calendar. It's the next thing to take place. No one knows the day or the hour. We don't know the exact day or the exact hour, which is why the rapture is said to be imminent. It could happen at any moment. What we do know is it's coming. It's going to happen. And we need to be prepared. Let's be ready. Let's be ready every single day for the fact that Jesus could take us home. How do we do that? Well, those five things we just mentioned, worship Jesus, equip yourself, connect with fellow believers, share the gospel with the lost, and serve everybody that you meet so that you can open up the doors to sharing the gospel. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you uh, again for who you are. Lord Jesus, we praise you first and foremost for who you are. You're the King of kings. You're the Lord of lords. You are the one who created all the heavens and all the earth, and yet you came to earth, the the very place that you made, and you died for the very people that you made. And you died at the hands of the very people that you made. And yet no one took your life, Lord Jesus, you laid it down willingly, and then Lord, you took it up again. And Lord, you are also coming again, and we so look forward to that day. Lord Jesus, may we echo the words of the Apostle John. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Lord, we love you, and it's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray together. Amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. Have a great week.